Good evening, everybody. I hope you're more awake than the morning congregation after the rugby. Um, but we won! Yay! You do realize that Celebration Sunday, if we lose on, on might just be unnecessary tonic for our environment. Just kidding. Um, I uh, would love you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at uh, verse 20 and 21. But I want us just to get a feel as um, before honor preaches on Sunday coming at Celebration Sunday. I want us just to get a feel as we're landing in a sense this beautiful section of Paul's ambition to get Christ's reward. So let's read from verse 10 of chapter 3. Listen to these words. Wow. Paul's saying, he's in prison while he's writing this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But, here's our text tonight. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body. To be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Awesome, eh? I am going to look at tonight something that we haven't really looked at. We'll make a start. We won't be able to do it in full detail, but the second coming of Jesus. And what Paul means in particular, this glorious moment for those who are alive on planet Earth when it comes, when he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by this awesome power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I want to remind us why this matters is because this book of Philippians tells us there's a, there's a finish line. We've got a race to run, right? And uh, how we run matters, not whether we're going to get to heaven one day, but what we will have to show for it. This Jesus has been so generous to us with his body and blood, but it's not just that we might um, uh, receive a passive salvation. It's that we might join him in his great work. And the work that he has for you and me, it has been handpicked and it is going to be rewarded 
if we are willing to do it for him. And Paul says there are two kinds of lives you must pay attention to, Christian. The first is those that are running well. You must have examples in your life of people that are choosing Christ above this world. Can I remind you tonight that bad company corrupts good character? Godly character, man, it feeds flesh. And we must be careful because there are many examples, Paul says, many examples that are not running for this great day. And it damages us. They are driven by things that are passing away. And it's beautiful spiritual logic tonight that Paul is using. He's saying, guys, these people like Mark preached last week, they're setting their eyes on earthly things. Their minds are fixed on earthly things. And if you are going to live for the approval of this world, for amassing vast amounts of stuff in it and trying to um, perfect some sort of glory in, on this planet Earth, it's a foolish thing to do. Do you know why? Because it is passing away. When Jesus comes again, we're going to see he's going to bring a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And on that day, what is done for Jesus will be remembered. But on that day, what is done against his name, friends, it will be forgotten forever. <laughs> Don't bother with it. And he also says these, these guys that are not following Christ, their God is their belly. And, and what he means by that is they are driven by their appetites, like Mark says. If you are going to follow this fallen body's impulses as your leader, Paul says, you are being foolish, Christian, because this body is not going to be around when Jesus comes again. You are going to get a resurrected body. The timing we'll look at tonight. But when you see Christ, if you are living here on planet Earth, he is going to transform your body in that second to be a, a glorious body. And this fallen body, that's a drag on you and your desire to go after God. I mean, don't you find that? The spirit indeed is willing, man, but the flesh is weak. And you're going to find tomorrow when you fast. It's not a fun experience when you call this body to be godly. <laughs> but the point of Paul is saying, you are a citizen of heaven. That's where you belong. And what you will have on that day when Christ comes to fetch you is you will have a new glorious body that is perfectly in tune with the Son of God. And, and, and friends, Paul is arguing again. He's trying to reason with us to get our eyes off things that are passing away onto Christ and eternity because what we get for living for Jesus far outweighs what the world can offer us now. And this great change of body and this great change of the world at the second coming, it must influence us in our thinking. And there's one more thing Paul wants to look at when he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, is the reward that he is going to offer for his followers who run the race, who finish. And uh, on this day, when the human race is going to stand publicly before Jesus, both the just and the unjust, the saved and the unsaved, the believer, the non-believer, Paul knows on that day, when Jesus is glorified, it's going to be an opportunity for those who live for him to share in that glory. And that's why when he talks about the day of resurrection in, in verse 11, it is not the normal word, anastasis. It is ex-anastasis. It is a resurrection plus. He knows he's going to be there by the blood of Jesus. Simple faith in Christ 
causes a radical change in us, a new birth, seats us in the heavenly places. We are, he says, already citizens of heaven. He's not saying you will be one day. You are already, through faith in Jesus, already there. You are already seated in the heavenly places. places. Ephesians 2 verse 6. You are there by the grace of God. Can I just get an amen to that? That's a wonderful thing. But there's a plus. And tonight, my heart for you is that you would come into that day well. You know, when we talk about reward, some people might feel a bit uncomfortable and say, you know, this feels a lot about me. Isn't that day about Jesus? Well, the first thing that you need to remember about reward is if it pleases Jesus to want to give you something, don't you want to run for it? I mean, the human logic is if you really love this Jesus and he wants, to, he wants you to share in his glory, surely the joy of pleasing him is to say, Lord, I want it. But secondly, it is about the moment when you give glory back to Jesus for what he has enabled in you. And friends, in this life, when you start to look more and more like him on that day, he is going to reward you for it because he's enabled it. But the one who is careless with salvation, Hebrews says, the one who, who neglects so great a salvation on that day will be there, yes, praising Jesus for his mercy. But friends, Christ wants to see us work out this salvation. Christ wants to see us to be, uh, be changed by, by one degree of glory to the next. Christ wants us to get on with those predetermined works that he has for us to do. And the more we give ourselves to his will, friends, the more we glorify him on that day. Are you with me tonight? We are going to stand before him. It's going to be an awesome thing, elders. We are going to present SBC to Jesus. And we want to run well. And tonight, I don't want any of, any of you to feel intimidated because you know all of heaven is backing you tonight. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit inside of you. The promises of God in his words. Christ praying for you. His blood speaking to you even when you sin. Friends, Christ has so set up this salvation in you that you can finish. And you can run well. Right. So, Sarah, we are going to jump to point four. And uh, I want you to spend a bit of time starting to explain the glory of why Paul can't wait to see this Jesus come. <laughs> the second coming. This second coming, church, is going to be glorious because it's going to be a day of resurrection. I'll explain that. Of judgments. I forgot that in the heading. And rewards. And my hope is there might be some things that you don't understand tonight. That's okay. But I hope tonight that your picture is filled in a bit more of what is waiting for you. So that when this world presents itself, there isn't a blank answering it. But rather, you know the glory of God that is, is there waiting to fill in that blank of what the world is offering you when you're faced with it. And we are unpacking verse 21, which says, 
Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even, him even to subject all things to himself. What does Paul mean by that? It's linked to the second coming. And my first heading under this point is, is that the second coming will be a day of resurrection. Resurrection of the body. Now, I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps, okay? Because uh, we're going to tackle this um, with an overview of Scripture. And uh, I'm going to ask you to give me a strange look if you don't understand. All right. So just go like this. If you do that, it would really help me to know if I'm hitting the mark or not. And any difficult questions, you can ask the elders afterwards. Okay. I'm just teasing. But you still can. All right. I think what we need to do is to ask the question, what happens to you if you die before the second coming? And this is real. Maybe somebody in your family has a terminal illness. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you are afraid of death. And you're not sure what's waiting for you on the other side. Well, as a believer, Scripture is very clear that if you die before the second coming of Jesus, is, uh, you're not going to be sleeping. You're not going to be unconscious. Uh, Scripture is clear that you are going to be in the immediate conscious presence of Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Right? So you're not going to be sleeping going... And when Jesus comes, you're going to see him. No, 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 no. Scripture is very clear that we've seen in, seen in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22. You're going to have to keep up with me, Sarah. I'm going to come back to that. Can you flip over to the next one? 1, 22 to 23. It says here, Paul himself says, he says, uh, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far Better. Paul sees death as a win, friends, not as a missing out. And he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, he says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the, with the Lord. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross next to him? He said, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's awesome. So, friends, you do not have to worry around whether you, when you die, what's going to happen. You are going to be, if you believe in Jesus tonight as your Lord and Savior, you're going to the direct, conscious, immediate uh, presence of Jesus. And you will not have to wait for the second coming to receive your body. You are not going to be a spirit wafting around in heaven. You know, you're not going to be this, this personality, just a vocal cord and a spirit singing to Jesus. What, 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 what Paul clearly teaches in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 to 3, it comes out beautifully in the NLT version. Listen to this. He says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, I mean, this body feels like a tent. Really. I mean, what protection does it really give you against the forces of this world? I mean, the hurricanes of life and sin blow through. It is weak. It is temporary. That's the point of a tent. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies 
we will not be spirits without body. And that little A was there to remind me in the Greek, it says this, we will not be naked. So when you die, you're going to be in the immediate presence of Jesus as a Christian, as a believer, and you will be in your resurrected body. And by the way, the unbeliever will receive a resurrected body too when they die, except it will not be glorified. It will be one in which they will experience judgment. In Luke chapter 16, in the parable of the, the uh, rich man and Lazarus, whilst everybody is still living, they both die. And, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's side, which Abraham is the model of faith. He is the model of being saved by faith. This Lazarus obviously had a relationship with God by faith and, and this coming Messiah. And he goes to Abraham's side, which is a form of saying those who believed who are saved. And, and the unbeliever goes into Hades or, or, or a place of torment. It is hell, but it's not quite hell yet because the second coming is going to finalize that. But the point is they go in body. He is thirsty. He is desperate for a drink of water. All his senses are fully activated, just like the Christian senses are fully activated. Friends, when a person dies, they receive a body immediately. The believer gets a resurrected body. The unbeliever gets a body which then goes to judgment. Are you with me so far? It will become a bit clearer in a moment when we get to... So, friends, what does that mean for the second coming? When Paul is talking about our text tonight in Philippians 3 verse 21, where when Jesus comes, we're going to be transformed. We are going to literally be in this lowly body. And when he comes like that, we're going to be transformed so that we have a glorious body like him. He is speaking to those who are still alive on planet earth, who are Christians, when Jesus comes again. And the reason why he speaks like that is because Paul desperately hoped to be still alive when Jesus came back. Every generation of Christians like that, right? I mean, but, but for Paul, he is hoping. We know in the end he doesn't make it in, in 1 Timothy 4. He, he dies to go to be with the Lord. But Paul is saying, we who are here, we who are waiting, we who are alive, Christians on planet Earth, when Christ comes, there's going to be a transformation that will happen. We are going to be immediately transformed into our resurrected body, and that's why for those who are living on planet earth and Jesus comes again, it is called the day of resurrection because those who are alive in Jesus, who are alive on planet earth in Christ, they, they are saved, will receive a resurrected body when he comes and they will join. We will join if Jesus comes as Christians on planet earth. We will join those who are already in his presence around his awesome throne. Where do I get that from? Well, it's when Paul has to comfort believers in Thessalonica. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15 to 17, what was happening in that first generation of Christians is people would, uh, Christians were dying. And in this church, their auntie so-and-so was dying, and their uncle so-and-so was dying, and their children, and perhaps maybe some of their fellow congregants. And they were saying, how can this be, Paul? Jesus was supposed to come again, and, and Christians are dying. Are, are they under judgment? If they're dying before the second coming, are they somehow, somehow fallen out of the grace of God? Are they, will they go, are they going to be there on that day when we get resurrected, when you come again? We're talking about living Christians on planet Earth. When you come, will they be there? That's their question. Maybe that's your question tonight. When Jesus comes again, who's going to be there? 
Is it going to be just you and him having a cup of tea? Or is it going to be seeing maybe your mom that's going to be with him and you, the Lord, or your dad? Well, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. When Jesus comes again, he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are on planet earth, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, guys, on that day when Jesus comes, don't worry that, that these people that you've loved, these fellow Christians who have died before the second coming, don't worry that they're not going to be there. They're going to be there. And, 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 and he's using that word euphemistically, sleep. It's not that they're not sleeping in their souls. It's the way of Paul gently posturing these guys and saying, guys, they haven't been hurt by death. They're still alive. It's like when you saw their bodies and you did their burial, they were just asleep. It, it, the, the, the end hadn't come yet. And Paul goes on to say, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven, that's the second coming, with a cry of command. Christ is going to do a summoning. And with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And here it is. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And what Paul's meaning is he's not saying those who are dead and still in the, in the ground unconscious and kind of they, 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 they are um, uh, physically dead. Uh, oh, sorry, my words are failing me. They, he's not talking about the dead in that way. He's talking about a category of people who died before the second coming of Jesus and that we know from Scripture have already experienced their resurrected body. They're already in the presence of Jesus. But he's talking about those who have departed from this world. He says they are going to, at that summoning, be gathered. They're already in their resurrected body. They are going to be gathered with Jesus up in the air as he comes. And so when Jesus descends, he's going to summon. And when the world looks up at the sky, they are going to see the saints gathered and in that summoning, not only the resurrected saints who have already departed from this earth are going to be around him, but you will experience, if you are around on planet earth when Jesus comes, you will be resurrected to be with them. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Wow. Wow. On that day, we are going to see the glory of Jesus. And it is going to be a moment of transformation for those that are on planet Earth. And we are going to join those that are resurrected in their bodies who are with Christ. What a day that's going to be. And my next little subheading is, why is Jesus doing all of this? Is <laughs> because this day is not just a day of us going to be with him, if we're on planet Earth, joining those who are already with him in heaven, is that it is going to be a day of judgment. When Jesus is going to put all things right, there is going to be divine justice, and I will throw this out as, a, uh, as a, a, an aside. The reason why we are going to be in the air coming down on planet Earth with him, because 1 Corinthians 6, 
think it's verse 3 is very clear. We are going to judge with Jesus. We are going to judge angels with him. I don't understand it. I I can't explain it. But the point of us being with him is we are going to be a part of that uh, judgment day with him, judging even the angelic realm. I don't understand that. Don't ask me anything more about it. It's just there. But the point is, that day is going to be a day of justice. Anybody here tonight had done something to them that nobody else knows about, and you've never received justice. On that day, Jesus is going to put it right completely. He is going to be the God, the judge, that is going to, on that day, vindicate righteousness and get rid of wickedness. Where do we get that from? In John chapter 5, Jesus says the following. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. There it is. Because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What what Jesus is saying here, he says there's going to come a day. Again, that word tombs is a category of people that have already departed. They're not living when he comes again. But when he does come, there's going to be a public summoning. There's going to be a gathering of the entire human race around him. And he's going to do some judging. And the judging is not going to be um, uh, whether you are saved or not. I'll get to that in a moment. It's going to be judgment of what we've done in the body. The deeds done. He says here in, in verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, there's going to be a vindication of, of, of goodness, of, of righteousness. And those who have done evil, the resurrection of the judgment, meaning that there is going to not be a judgment of, of, of your status before God. I'll put it in a moment. It's going to be an examining of the deeds done in the body. Jesus used a few words in his time on earth. He said, what was done in secret on that day will be shouted from the rooftops. Every careless word spoken will be judged. Now, that's quite a scary thing. Would you not agree? But on that day, Christian, you do not have to fear rejection because the very verse before this section, you see it's not in verse 25, let's go to verse 24. Let's go back one. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What that day of judgment is going to be, is not going to be whether you're going to heaven or not, friends. You've passed through that judgment the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That moment, God took your sin, he put it on Jesus, and he took past righteousness, he put it on you. Your status in the kingdom of whether you are a child of God or not is not going to be judged. What Jesus is saying here is what is going to be judged is the deeds done in the body. Oh, are you still with me? Even the unbeliever will not be judged on this day for not believing in Jesus. 
John 3 is very clear. John 3, 18, it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Our status is fallen. We are born under the status of sin and judgment. We are already under the condemnation of God. Christ came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the reason why the, the New Testament can say that is because the world was already condemned because of sin, already separated from God, already fallen, already receiving the wages of sin, which is death. Not only death in our bodies, but death spiritually. Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but came to save the world. And it's 3.16, is very clear. Two verses before that one on 3.18 says, it says, uh, come on, what's John 3.16? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whether you have believed in Jesus is not the point of judgment day. You with me? You've passed through that judgment day, Christian. You do not have to fear being cast out of the kingdom of God on that day. And the world will not have, the unbeliever will not have any opportunity to repent and confess Christ on that day because the, the age of faith will be done. What is being judged, and this is what I didn't know when I was in Sunday school, is the deeds done in the body. The rapist, the murderer, the swindler, unless they come to Christ and confess that sin and bring under the blood of Jesus, my friend, is never going to get away with it. It is not going to be a categorical judgment of, oh, there, oh, there go all the wicked people by, and there go all the righteous people, yay. It is going to be an examination, a justice against the deeds done in the body. People will know what was done. What has not yet been put right by the blood of Jesus and what has not yet been put right with your fellow person will be judged on that day. You with me? This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the, the body, whether good or evil. And friends, that's why this day is linked to reward. That's why. It's not linked to whether you're going to be saved or not and getting into heaven. That's not the point. The point is this judgment day is going to be a vindication, a reward, of righteousness, of the deeds done for Jesus by his people. And the judgment of what was done against him, the removal of wickedness. Yeah, for one more point, then I'm done. You're all with me so far. It is simply this. It is going to be the second coming, the day of public reward. 
You know, I had this thought, but, and I think I'm right. <laughs> the reason why we are going to be rewarded at that second coming is because Christ is going to be rewarded when he comes again. You know, right now, all the people that are elect, all the people that God is going to give him hasn't yet arrived. His people haven't been fully gathered in yet. There isn't a new heaven and a new earth yet. There isn't a vindication over his enemies. All his enemies are going to be put under his feet. That hasn't happened yet. And Christ is going to come into an inheritance, Romans 8 says. On that day, we are going to be co-heirs with Jesus. He is going to enter into reward from the Father. And it is fitting that the one who's going to be rewarded is going to want to do some rewarding himself. So, you've done so well tonight. I leave you with a few scriptures to ponder. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 to 15 together. Paul says this. He says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What he's saying is when you come to faith, your new birth, the, the righteousness you receive from Jesus, it is a foundation. It is, it, is, it is firm and fixed, but it is an opportunity, a qualification to start working with God. To start, in other words, building on it. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, what Paul is saying is, you have this salvation, Christian. You have this wonderful righteousness. Now start working it out. Now start get it moving. Now start doing something with it under the leadership of the Spirit and in obedience to the voice of the Lord. You start building with this incredible salvation God has given you by grace. You with me? You have this foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for what? For when? For the? The? For the? Do you notice the capital letter in, in the English? For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Remember, the judgment is about deeds done in the body. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though, let's read it all together, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, I say, your status in the kingdom of God is not going to be judged on that day. You have the foundation. Just as when a house passes through fire, Everything can be, can be burnt up except the foundation. That is how secure you are by the grace of God. You are qualified to start living for Jesus. Now Paul says, do so. Do so. And how you live from the simplest things. Church, don't think about the only thing that gets rewarded are mission trips and all these things. Those things are part of you fulfilling your plan. It is how you love the person that sits next to you in your desk at school. It is the giving a cup of water to somebody in need. It is this idea of every part of our life being lived for the glory of Jesus, from the mundane to the profound. How we measure that is all different, I might just add. To Christ, it is the same. I've said a lot. But for Paul, he wanted to have a building to show for this, this incredible foundation Jesus had given him. 
I'm going to venture just one more step further. I, it's a mystery to me, but I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40 to 42, he's talking about what will happen on that day when we stand before Jesus. He says, just as you look up in the sky, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly host is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun. You look at the sky, you see the sun, and then you see the glory of the moon. It's a bit dimmer. And another glory of the stars, they can twinkle, and they, they have different brightness, the morning star, the other stars. For star differs from star in glory, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying, the degree to which you become like Jesus here, you get conformed to the image of him, the degree to which you get changed from one degree of glory to the next, is going to shine when you receive your resurrection body. I don't understand it. On that day, we will. But, but Jesus is saying, guys, the further you go with me in this life, the more it will shine in the next and, and as one star differs from another, as you look up in the sky on that day when Jesus comes and we stand before him, the way that we have lived for him and become like him in our behavior, in our attitudes, in the body, the way that we've expressed obedience to him in the body and loved him in the body, friends, that is going to shine on that day. Wow. That's not me. You can ask Paul when you see him on that day. <laughs> That's why he says he wants a glorious resurrection. He wants an ex anastasis. He wants a resurrection plus. He wants to radiate the glory of Jesus on that day. And so I leave you with this before we uh, enjoy communion. Listen to these words of Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 68. Paul is old and he's dying. He knows he's not going to see the second coming of Jesus. And this is what he says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Oh, but listen to this church, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All those who have loved with a longing to be reunited with Christ and to live in a way that will matter to him on that day are in good stead for a well done. It's coming. And, and, and friends, this is what Paul is saying in our text in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, we are citizens of heaven. He can say, you are going there. Have something to show for it. Because this Jesus from heaven, we are awaiting, we are awaiting this Lord, this Savior, Jesus Christ, who on that day, if we are here on earth, will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, we are to long, we are to look for, we are to live for that day when we are going to see him.
For Paul, it was going to be through death. He was going to go be with him, but he knew he, he, he had lived with such a clear conscience before Jesus that when he was going to stand before him on that great day, there was a crown of righteousness. And he doesn't disqualify any of you from that here tonight. And I'm aware that when we often talk about rewards, you sitting there tonight can feel regret. I mean, how many of us here tonight have built with gold and diamonds and precious stones? How many of you can relate to that? There's been seasons when it's been hay, straw, and stubble. <laughs> can I just get a gracious amen? <laughs> it doesn't matter to Jesus. Do you know why? Because Paul expressed the heart of Christ for you tonight. He said, forget what is behind. Forget it. Strain on towards what's ahead for this glorious upward call in Christ Jesus. Christians, he's talking to Philippians. You can't tell me all those Philippians were goody two-shoes. You can't tell me all those Philippians had perfect marriages. You can't tell me all those, those Philippians were perfect Christian children. Let me tell you what rubbish. He's talking to a bunch of scabangas that know the grace of God and have been summoned into this place of this kingdom of God through mercy and have been set up by the grace of God. They say, hey, guys, there's a race for you to run. And in Christ, you're all qualified. But don't look back. Don't harp on the things that have passed. Don't say, oh, my goodness, I've blown it already. No Christian can say that tonight. Because you're on a foundation that is firm and you have time. And if the Spirit is stirring your heart towards Jesus, my friends, forget what is behind. Strain towards what's ahead. The glory of God is waiting for the one who's willing to go for it in Jesus. You'll make mistakes. Jesus isn't, isn't intimidated about mistakes. You'll fall in sin. Let me tell you, his blood is still powerful to forgive. What he's looking for are those that are willing to say, I want it, Jesus. Not just for my sake, but the glory of your name. I'm not sitting back on a bunch of pillows of salvation going, it's so nice until you come. And if you come now or next, it doesn't really matter. We are on track with this Lord Jesus Christ. We are up for glory. And Jesus is saying, man, come on. Come on. I'm with you. You've got the greatest coach on planet Earth. You know, Jesus was tempted in every way. He didn't sin. He was perfected through suffering. When you are struggling, he's saying, my boy or my girl, I know exactly what, you like, what it's like, and I know how to get you through it. When you are facing the temptation of sin, he's saying, I faced that too. Don't you worry about it. I overcame it. I'm in you, and I'll teach you how to do it by the power of my spirit. Every part of my life is for you to run well for me. I have not withheld a single part of my righteousness for you. I have not withheld my prayers for you. I have not withheld all of my faithfulness towards you, my shepherding. I'll go after you when you wander. I'll overrun your feet when you go. I'll even bring your feet back on the path when you start wandering off. Don't you worry. I've got you, but I want you to respond to me. I want you to live for me. I want you to be led by me. I want you to come under my shepherding. I don't want you to be like a, like a horse or a donkey that's, that's rebellious. I want you to come under my goodness and my grace, my yoke that is easy, my burden is light. When you start to live for Jesus, you notice how much he's for you, how much his spirit is burning in you and enables you to start living this life that you thought wasn't possible before. But by the help of his spirit and the grace of God and his nearness, you start seeing transformation in your life over years that you, you wouldn't have dreamed of. You start seeing these things as being real. And they are, my friends, because the fact is, whether we like it or not, Christ is coming again. 
his coming. And we want to be those who loved his appearing. You know, this morning and this week, I've woken up and said to Jesus, God, Jesus, thank you that I'm one day closer to you. One day closer. And the joy of forgiveness tonight and qualification to walk with Jesus is expressed in this communion meal. And I just want to read you what Jesus wants you to remember as you eat and drink tonight. He says, after blessing this bread, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's going to be a day of banqueting with Jesus. And this is the foretaste of it tonight. This is the reminder that Jesus is willing to forgive sins. Anybody here got a guilty conscience tonight? Come and experience forgiveness. But this is for the, the, the believer. You must be able to call Christ your Savior. What you hold in your hand tonight must be true in your heart. So let's pray.